Our country is obsessed with happiness. It is even in the forefront of our nation's founding document, the Declaration of Independence. You may be familiar with these lines. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by the Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The pursuit of happiness, right? What an interesting phrase. Don't get me wrong, I'm all about being happy, okay? I'm totally for being happy. But I don't think the authors of the Declaration of Independence had this in mind, what our current culture is doing with the pursuit of happiness. Today, happiness, in a general sense, is to be, I think, based around mindfulness, right? Personal empowerment, maybe, success and immediate gratification, we can tell that there's a problem in how we view happiness in our country because an entire industry has been birthed from the pursuit of happiness. And these examples are just a few, a very, 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 very small fraction of the books that you can buy that promise to make you happier. And that doesn't even start to cover all the online seminars and the conferences that you can go to to be happier. Happiness is drastically shifted towards self-help these days and life enrichment, right? While at the same time, it's becoming ever increasingly more based on instant gratification. It's, it's a paradox. I don't get how it works, but that is where we're at. And I think social media has driven us towards an ever faster consumption of things that make us feel good. And it's always available there for us. That's why they call it a feed. It's just kind of always there for us to consume. And these books, podcasts, Classes and conferences are coming out all the time. All the time. They promise to help you live a happier and more fulfilled life. Most of them, from what I've seen, boil down into just simple life hacks for productivity. Right? That's pretty much what it comes down to. Which is not wrong. It's not bad to try to work more efficiently and kind of get your life organized. But that is more of the symptom treatment than the cause. And all together, here's the crazy thing. Americans spend more than $10 billion a year on these types of books and classes. Yeah, it is crazy. And to put that in perspective, there, put this in perspective. We spend more on this than we do on consumables, such as toothpaste, trash bags, and chocolate combined. All right? I don't know. Yeah, well, self-help might be chocolate, depending on how you self-medicate. <laughs> yeah. It's a... <laughs> Choc- chocolate is a wonderful food that God has created for us. And uh, I don't know about you, but it doesn't stick around in our house very long. But think about it. Think about how much you eat chocolate, okay? And then think how much you use toothpaste and trash bags. And you combine all those things together. And America still spends more on self-help and life enrichment. And $10 billion, by the way, is more than the bottom 54 countries' GDP. So we spend more as a country on trying to be happier than 54 countries make in a year. Okay? Think about it. 
And guess what? It doesn't even help. <laughs> we, uh, there are some surveys. I didn't bring them up for you. But we are just about in the middle of the road for life, happiness, and satisfaction. Okay? In this country. Which is sad, given that we seem to prioritize it enough to spend $10 billion a year on the industry. And like I said, there's nothing wrong with pursuing happiness. However, I think that our perceptions of happiness and gratification become dangerous when we start to mix what the culture thinks with our faith. And there are some common phrases that people think are in the Bible that teach this kind of uh, bad choice-making. You may be familiar with the phrase, God wants me to be happy, right? And we're in the series called The Bible Doesn't Say That. So guess what? The Bible never actually says the phrase, God just wants you to be happy. And you can understand where this comes, though, where this comes from, though. I mean, after all, we, we hear phrases all the time like, all I want is for you to be happy. Like, do what makes you happy. Especially parents that say, all I want for my kids is to be happy. Logically, if God is good and loving, why wouldn't he want me to be happy too? Right? If God is a God of blessings and gifts, certainly happiness falls into that category. How could a good God want anything else for me except for me to enjoy my life and be as happy as I can be? It sounds right on the front end, but is it? And today we're going to be picking apart the idea God wants us to be happy to see what the Bible actually says. First of all, we need to know what the Bible actually says, which is that it never once uses the word happy. Interesting. At least not in the sense of we think of it today. So you will see words, perhaps, in your Bible translation that say happy or happiness. And it is perhaps even a fair use of that word, right? I'm not saying that if your Bible says happy, all of a sudden you have to throw out your Bible because your translation is bad. There is a fair use of the word. But the Greek word that is usually trans, uh, translated as happiness is eudaimonia. Okay? And this Greek word, like traditionally, is if you want to say I'm happy or there's happiness, this is the Greek word that you use. Okay? However, that never shows up in the New Testament, that word. And it's actually not even in the Septuagint, which is the ancient Greek translation of the Old Testament. This word is never used. The Bible does use two words that are sometimes translated as happiness in Scripture. Those words are makarios and kara. In fact, if you want to hear a Breakfast Theology episode on this, we do an episode, me and Chuck and Isaac, do an episode about, uh, I think, being blessed or being happy. One of those two. can't remember the exact title off the top of my head. But makarios, the Greek word here, sometimes translated as happy, is actually blessed. So like... Matthew 5, blessed are the poor in spirit, right? That word, that is makarios. And then there's kara, which is sometimes also translated as happy, but it's actually joy, right? And both words are similar to the word happiness, and they certainly, um, happiness comes from blessing and joy. So I don't think it's wrong to use that word, and sometimes it helps convey more of the meaning of what the author intended when we translate it happiness. But it's not quite the same meaning. And now that we've covered what the Bible doesn't, say it doesn't actually ever use the word happiness and it certainly doesn't say god just wants you to be happy what do you guys think that phrase means like you guys can speak up what do you think people mean when they say god just wants me to be happy do what you want do what you want (laughs) you got every you got a free pass right everything's good 
Yeah. Yeah, so people see happiness as something you feel, whereas maybe joy and, uh, joy and being blessed is maybe something you receive or kind of a state of being. Yeah. What do you guys think? Just do it. Just do it. <laughs> YOLO, Nike, let's go. <laughs> Life is short. Eat the cake before you eat the potatoes. Uh, it's always the opposite way for me. Potatoes are always the main course. But yeah, life is short. Do what you want, right? It is exactly what I've experienced as well, what you guys said. In my experience, these, this phrase is usually used as justification for a desire or action that you have taken or are about to take. And it's usually, usually in a moral gray area, <laughs> Right? Now, it would be one thing if you're like, man, I just really want to pray more and read my Bible more, but there's so much else going on, so I'm just going to cut off some of those things and say, you know, God just wants me to be happy and do that, right? But that's not usually what we're talking about here. Usually the phrase comes, like, for example, if something as small as like eating an extra ice cream cone when you've already had two or three, and you're like, you know, God just wants me to be happy. You know, I'm just going to eat this. And it could be as serious, and I've, I've heard this. Um, someone I personally know... Their spouse said, we're getting a divorce because God wants me to be happy. And they're going to a more exciting relationship. Something that seems to be more fulfilling. And when it gets to extremes like that, it seems really hard to square that phrase, God wants me to be happy, with other biblically sound principles and teaching. And as I did some digging... The, the closest verse I could find that maybe even could be slightly supporting this idea that God wants us to be happy, and I, I know this is a famous verse and it's favorite, so I'm not, I'm not digging on it, but Jeremiah 29 11 might be what we could say might be the closest thing, right? For the plans that God says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future, right? This is a very common phrase that just floats around culture. And I'm not going to labor over this verse today, but to sum up my thoughts on it, I think that this verse is specifically talking to the Jewish people who are facing exile, and Jeremiah was talking to them. And generally, I think that this passage uh, supports that God's, God's sovereignty, his power, his uh, fulfillment of his promises, and his love for his people. Right? And if you want to hear more about this, I actually did a whole uh, message um, in Discerning the Truth series back in March in uh, the message titled Weighing the Evidence, and that's on March 6th. If you want to go back and check that out, you can find that sermon on our website or on any place you find a podcast. Uh, you just search North Camp Bible Church Sermons. So you can go find a whole bunch of backlog. And specifically, March 6th, uh, Discerning the Truth, Weighing the Evidence is where we talk about this verse more in depth if you want to look at that. But simply put, I don't think this passage can be used as justification to do whatever you want, <laughs> Right? And it certainly doesn't mean that God is going to greenlight all of our plans. The Bible doesn't teach that God is going to greenlight all of our plans and give them his blessing. However, that doesn't mean that God just wants us to walk around sad all the time. Right? He's not like, all right, no more smiling. It's just, that's not how the Bible works. In fact... You may be surprised to hear, I think the Bible does teach us that God wants us to be happy. With a nuance, okay? It needs to be qualified when we say that. 
And here are some verses for you to consider. Philippians 4.4 Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. That's Romans 15, 13. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you, my soul also, which you have redeemed. That's Psalm 71, 23. For our heart is glad in him, because we trust in his holy name. Psalm 33, 21. And lastly, though you have not seen him, you love him, though you do not see him you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That's 1 Peter 1, 8 through 9. So just take a look for a second and think about the commonalities in these verses. Just look at them. Okay. First of all, you may notice that all of these verses deal with joy and blessing and peace and hope and gladness. Right? And I think that that combination of emotions and feelings and state of being can fairly or fairly be classified as happiness. Right? I think if you looked at that, you would say, whoever is, if someone wrote those on Facebook, leaving out the God part, if someone wrote those kinds of things on Facebook, you'd say, yeah, they're happy. Right? Because those are the things that qualify as happiness. And even in secular programs, they try to, to develop joy and peace in moments of thankfulness in your life. That's... Uh, kind of stealing from the Bible there in some respects of trying to build happiness, but they are missing something really important, which is also, you'll see that no mention of joy and peace or hope in these verses is without also the mention of God. It is not, there is no joy or peace or hope mentioned without God or his promises. So what we find in Scripture is that there is an abundance of happiness that God wants you to have. It just comes in addition to him. right? And it may be even better said that happiness is a side effect of knowing the only living God and living the way that he's called us. It is in direct contrast to pursuing, pursuing your own happiness outside of God and despite God's desires. And when we pursue our happiness outside of God, it is most often becomes sin and can turn quite evil. And there's actually a really good example of what that's like uh, in the Bible. If you want to turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 21. So this chapter, we're just going to look at it quickly here. This chapter highlights an infamous couple in the Bible, King Ahab and his wife Jezebel. Now, my professor in Bible College, Bob Jones, if you ever watch this, here's an homage to you. But he would always say, whenever he read Ahab and Jezebel, he'd go, boo, hiss, and then he would make all of us say it. So if you want to join in, every time I read Ahab or Jezebel, feel free to yell, boo, hiss, okay? It's just fun. So this, this couple, which we have already named, um, <laughs> was perhaps the worst people to ever lead the northern kingdom of Israel. And their life is a good example of what happens when your desires go unchecked and when you pursue gratification without regard to God. So 1 Kings chapter 21, let's just start reading on the first verse here. This is a story from their life. Now it came about after the, these things that Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard 
which was in Jezreel. That's why he's called a Jezreelite. Okay. Besides, beside the palace of Ahab. Yeah, that's fun. King of Samaria. Ahab <laughs> spoke to Naboth saying, give me... So, so the king goes to Naboth and he says, give me your vineyard that I may take it for a vegetable garden because it is close beside my house and I will give you a better vineyard that is in, uh, that is in its place. If you like, I will also give you the price of it in money. But Naboth said to Ahab... The Lord forbid me that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. So Ahab came into his house sullen and vexed because the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed and he turned his face and he ate no food. Then Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, how is it that your spirit... I just imagine. Oh, poor, poor husband. How is it that your husband is so sullen that you are not eating food? Or that your spirit is so sullen that you're not eating food? So he said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite, and he said to me, and I said to him, Give me your vineyard for money, or else, if it pleases you, I'll give you a vineyard in his place. But he, but he said, I will not give you my vineyard. Then Jezebel, his wife said to him, oh, we're going to stop there, actually. Because <laughs> there's a lot of, to read here. But I was just really caught into the theatrics of it, and it was fun. So from this point, Jezebel goes, uh, you, can, you can stop the Buddhist thing. It's going to take us a while, because I'm going to say their names a lot more. So at this point, I mean, you can say it but if you want. Jezebel goes and makes a plot to kill Naboth. Okay? And she sends, <laughs> she sends a letter around uh, to the leaders to, around Naboth. So she says, hey, leaders, will you do a day of fasting and create this public gathering and bring Naboth in front of everyone and then I want you to find two people to be false witnesses because it needs two people to make uh, a convincing argument. It needs to be verified by more than one person. So they comply, and they bring Naboth in this public setting, and two liars say, hey, this guy cursed God, and he cursed the king, which is punishable by death. And so everybody around him, um, off the account of two witnesses, take him out of the city, and they stone him to death. And just like that, an innocent man is killed. Yeah, boo hissed to that. Then Jezebel goes back to her poor, old, sulking husband and says, Don't worry, honey. You can have the vineyard now. Naboth is dead. It's all yours. And this makes Ahab very happy because he finally got what he wanted. Think about what happened here. Ahab wanted something. And to make him happy. Jezebel had a man murdered in cold blood. Without so much as a moment of hesitation. Think about how messed up that is. That is messed up. No wonder they get the boo hiss. 
And there have been justifications for happiness like this throughout all of history. And to make matters worse, Ahab was the king of Israel. He knew who God was. And he knew what God wanted and commanded. He just refused to listen. And in this case, I think the pursuit of happiness shifted. It got perverted a little bit. And it went to the pursuit of gratification. What we want, how we want it, and when we want it. So does God want us to be happy? I think he does, legitimately, yes. And also no. It depends. Firstly, how do you get there? How do you get to happiness? Secondly, you have to realize that happiness isn't the end goal for God. Right? It's not like God created this world and put the plan of salvation in place and had Jesus die on the cross and be resurrected so that you can be happy. That's not his end goal. His end goal is to save us. Right? And even more than the fleeting feeling of happiness or gratification, I think God wants stability for us. More than just a momentary, pleasurable moment. Number one, I think we need to remember that God wants stability, not just happiness. And happiness is often determined by what is happening around us. That's why they share the same uh, root word, happiness and happening. And God wants us to be able to look through the circumstances and find emotional stability through any situation. He wants us to have abiding. That means living with us, continually with us, joy and peace and hope. He wants us to live an abundant life, which is impossible without faith in him. Another thing we need to internalize this morning is that happiness is a byproduct of pursuing God. Happiness is evil. It is good for us to be happy. But we need to remember that happiness is the result of pursuing God. We don't pursue happiness and tack on God to the, on the side when we have room. We pursue him first, and from that life-giving relationship flows happiness and so much more. Lastly, lastly, so important, never use God to justify your son. That is something we need to take very, very seriously. When we use the phrase, God just wants me to be happy, and then we go on to do something that he does not approve of in his name, how does that reflect on him? Right? My mom said, if I ever got a tattoo, I should just say, I hate my mom. So that'd be like, oh, you know what? My mom just wants me to get happy. Or just, my mom just wants me to be happy. So I go and get a tattoo on my back that says, I hate my mom. Right? And then I go over, hey, mom, look at this. Look. That's kind of the same thing. You're just, you're invoking God's power, his relationship, what he says, who he is. And you're combining that with what you're doing purposefully. Right? It's not like you're just like doing something and you're like, people know you're kind of a Christian. You're saying, no, God wants me to be happy, so I am doing this. That's dangerous because you better be doing something that he approves of. It's probably best to just avoid the phrase altogether. (laughs) That's really what we should do. Never, just never say God wants me to be happy and do something. Just 
do something and make it so that God is involved in that decision. And it's hard to imagine a situation where ever using that phrase would actually be beneficial or edifying, so just stay away from it. There is some really good news today that I think is a breath of fresh air for us and for uh, the world, if you're listening. This is good news. There is no amount of money that can buy happiness. All right? Not even $10 billion. It is a free gift. One that comes with the knowledge and relationship that God offers between us, him, and his son, Jesus. I hope to see you all next week as we continue the series of what the Bible doesn't say. Please pray with me. God, I thank you for this morning that we can gather together and we can learn about how you do bless us, how you do give us joy and peace that overcomes any situation. I just pray that we live for you and that we live holy, holy lives. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.